Thanks for joining us today at Springwell Church, where we want to draw spiritually thirsty people to Jesus by loving God, loving each other, and loving the world. We hope that today's message builds you up, gives you a little insight, and helps you find a brand new perspective. You can find us in Taylor, South Carolina, and online at springwell.org. That's springwell.org. Now let's jump into the message. Uh, thank you guys for being here today. Uh, we are going to talk about love. It's going to be very different than the medley that we just, just did because I think it's going to help set the, set the tone uh, for kind of what we're going to talk about today because we're in a series that, is called, that we're calling The God of Always. And today we're going to talk about how God always loves us. And for many of us, the idea of love is best expressed in how someone else describes it written in a song, sung the way it uh, just was done on stage. What's written in a greeting card? Thank you, Hallmark. We appreciate that, all right? Um, What's written in a poem, a sonnet, a play? Thank you, William Shakespeare. Um, What's drawn or in a painting? The idea is that the truth of someone's love is not on what they do. It's actually the truth of someone's love is how they act on the feeling. For a lot of people, it's a struggle to believe that God could love us, let alone always love us. And if you're here and you're like, I, I don't know that I feel comfortable am- admitting that this morning, let me help you out a little, a little bit. I struggle admitting sometimes that not only could God love me, that it could always love me. It's been something that I have struggled with for a long time. Why? Because we struggle with we struggle with how we perceive ourselves. We struggle with um, the things that we hate about ourselves. Therefore, we believe that God has to feel the same way about us that we feel about us. Or how other people feel about us. Even though God has written it, said it, and demonstrated it really clearly. But this morning, we're going to go spend a little few minutes talking about how God chose to show us how much he loves us and that he always loves us. The lengths to which he's gone, gone, the price he's actually paid. And we're going to read about this in the book of Ephesians in the New Testament. It's a, one, of the, um, one of the letters that the Apostle Paul wrote to churches, in this, this case, the church in Ephesus. And Paul was originally known by the name Saul. But his name was changed after his relationship with Jesus Christ began. Yes, he is a great example of what it looks like to follow Christ and to trust him, but it didn't begin that way for Paul. He, he, um, he was a religious leader who hated the movement of the church and the followers of Jesus Christ. He persecuted and hunted them down. But one day, Saul, now Paul, has a literal encounter with Jesus Christ while he's on the road. He was blinded. He had to wait for scales to fall from his eyes so that he could experience what God had in store for him, but more importantly, so he could understand how God really loved him. Ephesians is one of several letters that Paul ultimately wrote to encourage and teach the followers of Christ, also known as the church, also known as, at this point, 
at this point in time in history, the way. So I want you to think about this. If a man who hated this way of life and hunted down believers and tried to stop this Jesus movement from taking off, if he was able to accurately articulate how much God loves him, don't you think we should pay attention to it? So let's do that. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Paul writes, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms, because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. So Paul starts out by helping this group of believers to understand that God wants to bless us as his children with an Uh, with an inheritance of eternal significance. This wasn't about what God could give us in the moment, but it's about what he wants to give us for eternity. And I think this morning there are probably some of us in here who don't think that God really loves us and certainly doesn't love us always because in our minds it's based off what God gives us or what we want God to give us. But ultimately, he demonstrates his love by what he will give us for eternity if we know him. So, let's talk about this choice that God made in verse 4. I want to read it again. It says, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and fault without, his, without fault in his eyes. So, it was written uh, this way as I was studying for this. I, I read a, a commentary that, where someone wrote, it's not so wonderful that man would choose God. The wonder is that God would choose man. Let me tell you what this means to me. When I start thinking about that statement, and it's not so wonderful that God would choose, that man would choose God. I think at some point it makes some sense if you have an encounter with this holy God who's so big that he created everything, created you, and if you start ever experience his love, it kind of makes sense that man would somehow choose God at some point. But the fact that a holy, perfect, blameless God would choose to love me because I know me. Some of you are sitting out there going, We know you too. I don't know how God loves you. Like, I get that. But I know me. I know how I act. I know how I live. I know what I can do well. I know what I can't do well. And then the next moment, I royally screw everything up. So think about it. It's not as impressive that he would ever, that we would ever get to the place that we would love God. However, what's impressive is that this God would choose a sinful, prideful screw-up like me. And there are some of us out there today who don't understand or don't believe God's love because that's how you see yourself. It's how I've seen myself. But God wants us to understand that there's so much more with that. I read a writer who said it this way, God chose us to bless us with the blessings which are to be found only in heaven. There are certain things which 
a man can discover for himself, but there are others which are beyond his obtaining. A man by himself can acquire a certain skill, can achieve a certain position, can amass a certain amount of this world's goods, but by himself he can never attain to goodness or to peace of mind. God chose us to give those things which only he alone can give us. There's no amount that we can learn. There's not a, 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 an amount of knowledge that we can gain. The amount of things that we can do, the position that we have attained to at any point in time, none of those things will allow us to gain the stuff, the things that God wants to give us for eternity. And he chose to do that well before we were ever born. I think about uh, gifts that I've received the most meaningful gifts in my life were things that I wouldn't have done for me, bought for myself. Um, a few years ago, uh, when my dad uh, first found out that he had cancer, and he, the, the cancer had eaten up his, his pelvis and his, his hip, and um, he couldn't do a lot of things physically. But one thing that he decided he was going to do was take up some new hobbies, um, he started building Legos, all kind of stuff, but he decided he wanted to learn how to play guitar. And uh, I honestly don't know if he ever mastered one or even two chords. I don't even know if he ever did that. But when he passed away a couple years ago, I asked if I could have that guitar. It meant a lot for to me. And um, it sits in our bedroom now. And I remember just a few months after he passed away, I went into the bedroom and I was going to open it up and I was just going to play because I, I missed my dad in that moment. And I just wanted to play that guitar for a little bit. And when I went to open the case and I started to take it out, I realized that the bridge had completely broken off the guitar. I don't even know how. It hadn't been hit, fallen over, anything. But it kind of sent me in a little bit of a tailspin spin. It, to the point that I, I was pretty broken up about it. Well, because I didn't want to have to deal with it in the moment, and I didn't know how to deal with it in the moment, my wonderful wife, Michelle, went behind my back and found someone to do the work. And then on my birthday that year, she actually gave me something that I already had. And when she handed it to me, I was like, awesome. You found this in the corner. Way to go. Uh, no. And it, when I opened it up and saw that it was back together, I realized how much she cared about me. Because she did something that I wouldn't have done for myself. Um, when our daughter Hannah was in first grade, she and I went to our first daddy-daughter dance which is a sight to behold anyway because this dancing is not exactly Fred Astaire um, or anything at that point. It's just kind of uh, stay in your world, right? Step, left, step. Like that, that was kind of it. But after we had stopped at one point and, and we went into the, the, the gymnasium, they had some refreshments. And when we went in there, they had these, um, these cupcakes and the cupcakes had these, had these little rings that they're emoji rings. And on her, she took it off, and I don't think it was more so because of trying to be sweet, honestly. I mean, she is, but uh, 
that sounded horrible, by the way. Let me step back a little bit, rewind uh, in the moment. No, I think she just wanted to eat the cupcake. So the ring needed to be off of it. But she did it, and I was sitting there, and she just reached over for no reason and took the little emoji ring that I have with me, and um, she just like slid it on my finger. And when she did, that demonstrated to me like how much she loved me. It was something that I couldn't have done for myself. It was a gift that she gave me. Now, um, what she doesn't know is that I'm still holding on to this. I've had this for three years. And, oh, if you wait into all, you just wait, all right? I'm just saying. <laughs> I'll, I'll let you know when you can again. No, um, this has been in a box on my nightstand for the last three years. And the reason I've held on to it is because my plan is that when she gets married and we have our daddy-daughter dance, that I'm just going to put it on her finger. Now you can do it. All right. Okay, there it is. Um, <laughs> somehow that became about me, and I didn't want it to, but it was. Um, the thing about these gifts is that they just really demonstrated how much the people who were special to me, how much it demonstrated how much they loved me. And in that verse 4, Paul talks about how much God loves us. That in the advance of creation, that he already had a plan to demonstrate his love for me and his love for you. It wouldn't happen by what I can do or what I can attain. Instead, it would happen by what he would be willing to do for me. Paul wrote that in Christ, by his death and his resurrection, by his sacrifice that we sang about just a little bit earlier, God chose to love us as holy and blameless. The word holy here is the Greek word hagios, and in it is the idea of difference and separation. I don't know about you, but that's not something that I can attain to. Like, I can't make myself holy. I can't be completely different and separated from everything else. I can't do that for myself. But I can be viewed this way because of what Jesus Christ did for me. In those verses, it's worded in this translation, without fault in his eyes. Or blameless would be another way to say it. It's the Greek word amamos. It thinks of the whole man or the whole woman as being an offering to God. It thinks about taking every part of my life, my world, my pleasure, my relationships, and making them such that they can be offered to God. I can't do that for me. But he chooses to see me that way. This means that as a follower of Christ, I must be Amamos. It means that I have to banish contentment with the second best in my life. Because if God chooses to see me not as second rate, not as flawed, but to see me as holy and blameless through what Jesus Christ did for me, then the second best that I think of myself are not good enough anymore. If he sees me that way, then I need to see me that way. It includes how I allow myself to be thought of as a second-rate, no-good loser who only screws everything up, 
and therefore is unlovable and unusable by the very same God who sees me as holy and blameless through what his son did for me. I'm not going to ask anybody to raise hands, but are you sitting there maybe this morning sitting there thinking, this is what I think of God. There's no way that he could always love me, but how can he love me now because of what I do or what I don't do? Because he sees you through what he did for you. He sees you through what his son was willing to do for you. That's how he sees us. Our daughter, Hannah, is doing really well in school this year. She's always done really well in school, but this year she's come home two nine weeks with two report cards that had all A's on it. And that's, that's awesome. And I'm, well, thank you. We haven't done that. She's smart. Um, <laughs> she, <laughs> again, how did that become about me? Okay, so, but the thing is, is that even though she has those report cards that have those really good grades, one of the things that I've noticed is that now when she has a tendency to come home with like her her folder that has like graded papers or tests or whatever from the week before, if she comes home and we take that out, that assessment folder, and we go to sign it, that we've seen it, that one of the things that she'll do is that before we ever look, she'll say, Daddy, I only have one B this week. Or, or, or daddy, I, I, mommy and daddy, I don't have, I, I, I have two grades that, that are A's. It breaks my heart when she does that. Not because I don't want her to think that there's any kind of pressure on her, but more so because she may see her subpar grade as a reason that I wouldn't love her. No, I just see my child, whom I love with everything that I am. That's how God sees you. He sees you as his child who he loves with everything that he is. When I start to look at my contentment with the second best in my life, with the second best of I think of what I think of myself, my thoughts and my actions, I start to realize that God sees me as holy and without fault through what Jesus Christ did for me. I don't have to worry about what he's going to say or think. He just always loves me. And Paul continues to write in verse 5, God decided in advance to adopt us into his family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. I don't have anything about that in my notes, but I want to take one second to read that part again. This is what he wanted to do. No one forced God to love you. He just wants to love you. And even better than that, and it gave him great pleasure to love you. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured onto us who belong to his dear son. So here, Paul speaks of this plan that God has to demonstrate this love for us and to always have this love for us. And it's a plan of adoption. He, th- this picture is used multiple times in the New Testament, um, the picture of adoption, to describe how God feels about us. That God would adopt us into his family through what his son, Jesus, would do for us. 
I spent a lot of time reading about adoption during this time frame. Uh, this is a, a time and point where in the world, um, Roman law prevailed, so it would be a really meaningful picture in this time to think about how God loves us and how God adopts us. Because in this time, Roman law was based on something that was called patria potestas, which is Latin and not a part of my normal vernacular, and I'm impressed that I even said it right then. Um, it just simply means the father's power. Meaning that the, the father had poor, uh, absolute power over his family, everyone in his family, over his children, as long as he and they lived. He could sell his child to be a slave. He could even have his child killed. So I get it, that took a turn really quickly. So stick with me for a second, all right? But under Roman law, a child could not possess anything. So if we've already said that, that God wants to give us an inheritance, this is a big deal because it's something that we are able to possess. Any inheritance in this time would be willed to the father or a gift given to a child would become the property of the father. It didn't matter how old, how old the son was, how important he became, the status that he would attain, he would absolutely, he was absolutely in the Father's power. So with this being the case, you can see how it's obvious that adoption was a very serious step in this time. So what I want to ask you to do for a second, it's going to be weird, and for someone who speaks in front of a group of people normally, you don't want people to close their eyes for a long time because we don't want you to fall asleep or anything else. Um, but I'm going to ask you over the next couple moments, maybe the easiest way for you to picture this is to literally to close your eyes and just picture yourself in this. Because I want to explain to you what adoption meant during this time. Maybe put yourself in this place. Maybe picture everything that we're about to talk about. If you can do that just sitting here, and awesome, go ahead and do that. It was not uncommon for children to be adopted to ensure that some family would not become ex extinct. So it became a ritual. The ritual of adoption was very elaborate and impressive. And this is the part that I want you to start to kind of trying to, to think about and put yourself in the place of the child who was being adopted. Adoption was carried out by a symbolic sale. Yes, a literal sale, S-A-L-E, in which copper and scales were used. On two different occasions, the birth father would sell the child or put the child up for sale only to symbolically buy the child back. That would happen once. Then again, symbolically would put the child up for sale again only to pay the amount and buy the child back a second time. But this is where it changes. At the third sale, he didn't buy him back again. At this point, the adopting father would go to a principal magistrate to state the case and plead the case for adoption. Only after all of this had happened, 
after all of this been gone through, was the adoption complete? Because on the third time, the birth father wouldn't buy back the child. The adopting father would pay what would be necessary to bring that child into the family. When it was complete, the person who had been adopted had all of the rights of a legitimate son in the new family. He lost all rights in the old family. In the eyes of the law, this individual was a new person. Even all the debts and obligations connected with the previous family were abolished, and they, in the mind of the law, had never existed. <clears throat> so have you been picturing this in your mind? Not that, that a parent would put you up for sale. But I want you to think about it this way. I don't think that there's coincidence that Jesus Christ died on a cross and was placed in a tomb and was dead for three days before he came back to life. Because on day one, sin bought me back. There was nothing I could do about it. On day two, sin bought me back again. And I was still a part of that family. But hallelujah, on day three, on the third sale, the case was made that the price had been paid and I had been adopted into a new family. If you think that you are worthless, if you think that God does not love you, if you are unlovable in any way, the price has been paid for you to be adopted into the family. You just have to accept the fact that you're in the new family. That's all you have to do. That's all I have to do. So here's what I want you to do. Compare with what Paul has said here about how God loves us and chooses to love us with this idea of adoption. As we're totally in this power of sin, that God through Jesus Christ and the sacrifice that he made for us took us out of that power and into his. Took us out of that family and into his. And that adoption wipes out the past and makes me new. So let me ask you for a second. Is that starting to sound like a God who always loves you? That if he was willing to do that before you were ever born, that you were ever thought of, that he would still love you today that way? But the way you have to experience it is that understanding and accepting that gift that you can be a part of that family. In Ephesians 1 verse 7 Paul continues and says that he, God, is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgive our sins. He had showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. So verses 7 and 8 remind us that God purchased our freedom which demonstrates his love for us. Purchased our freedom comes from a verb that mean, literally means to ransom. It's the word that is used for ransoming a prisoner of war or a slave. 
or freeing a man from the penalty of death. It's also used in the Bible to describe God's deliverance for the nation of Israel from their slavery in Egypt and also to describe God's continual rescuing of his people in a time of trouble. In each instance, it's delivering of a person from a situation from which he or she was powerless to liberate themselves or from a penalty that he or she can never pay. That's how much God loves you and me, that he would do all of that for us, that he would pay that ransom, he would pay that price. But he didn't stop there. Paul said that God showers us with kindness along with all wisdom and understanding. The two Greek words here for wisdom and understanding mean the intellectual knowledge that satisfies the mind. That's one. So the stuff that you can learn and the practical knowledge which enables us to handle the day-to-day problems of life. Greek philosophers would often write about this. They would write about these two words. And many of them would say that if a man had both of them, wisdom and understanding, then you're perfectly equipped for life. So catch this. There's a reason why we can call God's love perfect. Because when I understand God's love for me, what he's done, the price that he's paid, the lengths to which he has gone to make me a part of his family, when I understand that, recognize it, and accept it as a part of my life, I am perfectly equipped for life. Now, we started in verse 3, but now I want us to go back to verse 1 and 2. Some people may say, well, why did we start? Why don't we just read the first two verses? Well, because I think we can understand them a little better if we started at verse 3 and walked through those. Ephesians 1 verse 1 says, This letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. I am writing to God's holy people in Ephesus who are faithful followers of Christ Jesus. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Once we understand how much God loves us, we experience grace and peace and peace in our lives. This comes as a result of wisdom and understanding that only comes from Jesus Christ's sacrifice, his death and his resurrection. And understanding the love that God has for us, fear is eradicated. Loneliness becomes a thing of the past. Second best is no longer an option. Insignificance is replaced by adoption and captivity is ended and the ransom has been paid. So tell me something. Are you starting to understand that God always loves you? No matter who you are, where you've come from, what you've done, what you're thinking, He always loves you and He's demonstrated that before the beginning of time that he put this entire plan in place for you to be a part of of his family. Maybe today you're starting to believe this for the very first time. And this is something, I'm I'm just going to be honest, this is something that I have struggled with for a very, very long time. That God only sees me as I see me. 
that in my mind, God only sees me as others see me. And that God only loves me because of who I am and what I can or I can't do. But there's freedom that comes with the understanding and the wisdom and knowledge that comes from understanding how much God really loves us. Now, I've started to understand that God loves me so much that he adopted me when I didn't deserve it. God loves me so much that holding on to the second best that I think I deserve are replaced by his perfect love for me. And I've started to understand that God loves me so much that he paid the price for me when sin was buying me back and I had no hope. He pled my case and my adoption has been made complete. For this reason, I have peace through what God has demonstrated. For this reason, I will give all praise to our God who loved me and chose to see me as holy and blameless without fault because of what Jesus Christ has done for me. And today you can experience the exact same thing in your life. You can experience this peace that Paul writes about. You can understand this love that led God to go out of his way to make you a part of the family. It's not something that you can experience in a song, just in a song. It's not something that you can only experience by what you read or what someone else can tell you. You can understand it by willing, willingly accepting what God has done for you and your adoption into his family. That's how you experience it. Today you have, you can have this confidence that you can experience these blessings that Paul talked at the beginning of these verses about for eternity and not just in the moment by committing your life to Christ, the one who always loves you. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. I want us to pray. Maybe you're here and you know that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You have chosen to commit your life to him. But maybe you're like me. And you only see the things that you can do or you can't do, the things that you do right and then you screw up. And you've, you've allowed Satan to twist the truths that we've talked about this morning to the point that you think you're unlovable. And that God wouldn't have anything to do with you. If you experienced it once, you can experience it again. But maybe you're here and you're hearing this for the first time. Or maybe for the first time you're, you're thinking about God's love in a completely different way. You're starting to realize what he's done to go out of his way to bring you into the family and you're saying, what do I need to do to, to, to be a part of that family? What do I need to do to experience this, to gain this understanding and this wisdom that will lead to this grace and this peace? It's just taking a moment and tell him how you feel. 
It's just saying something like this. God, I'm tired second best. I think I only deserve second best. But God, you gave me everything. Your son gave his life for me. And through his death on the cross and his resurrection, that I can be a part of the family. And today, I believe that and I accept that. Today, I'm throwing away the second best and I'm giving everything to you. Change me, make me something new. Thank you for seeing me as holy and blameless through what your son Jesus did for me. And thank you for welcoming into your family. God, thank you for how words that were written 2,000 years ago can have such an impact on us today. And it's not even so much about the words, but the love that you've always had for us and that you are always going to demonstrate to us. Thank you for those who have experienced it for the first time and for those who have a better understanding of it after us talking through it this morning. Thank you not for loving me for how I see me or how anyone else sees me, but thank you for loving me because of what Jesus did for me. It's in his, his name that we pray. Amen.